every so often throughout the course of history, patriots rise up at a time of need for truth and freedom. These people are called disciples of liberty for their undying love of freedom. The call has been sounded. Will you answer that call or sit back and let freedom die away? Unifying patriots everywhere against the evil trying to destroy America's freedom. You're listening to the Disciples of Liberty radio show on the America Out Loud Network. Now here's your host, Tim Alders. Hey, welcome to the Disciples of Liberty show. I'm Brian Hyde filling in for Tim Alders here on the America Out Loud Network. Oh, I've got some great stuff to share with you today. And, you know, I'm back on beating the drum about uh, the fourth turning. And and it's only because there is so much going on around us that is part of a, a fourth turning crisis. Now, I want you to understand, this is not to suggest that the authors of this book, uh, The Fourth Turning, what the cycles of history tell us about America's next rendezvous with destiny. William Strauss and Neil Howe wrote this book, published it back in 1997. It's been around for a while. But it describes things that are very relevant to what's taking place right now. And there are two things that I want to, first of all, introduce you to. First of all, when it comes to a understanding the theory behind the, the generational historical cycles There is a website simply called Fourth Turning, spelled out F-O-U-R-T-H, turning.com, that will tell you what they mean. It has great charts that shows. And, you know, the book itself, a little bit under 400 pages, it's, it's a fairly, you know, big commitment to sit down and read. But if your experience is anything like mine, it is, it's the kind of, of shift in thinking, or at least the kind of adjustment in perspective You'll never look at current events quite the same way again. It's not that they were trying to tell the future and this is what will happen next and then little green men will descend in flying saucers. No, it's, you know, it's, it's very straightforward, but it's also a very recognizable pattern once it's been pointed out to you. And I, I will recommend the site. FourthTurning.com is a place to start. Learn about the generational archetypes, what the four turnings themselves are, the timing of generations and turnings. The best explanation I've heard, at least the most succinct explanation, is simply this. These turnings represent what is called a seculum. And, and not as in secular, like it's not church-related, it's, it's a Roman word that refers to a period of time in, that would be experienced over, say, a very long lifetime, 80 to about 120 years. And essentially, if you liken it to the turnings of the seasons, you can see civilizational cycles that come. Yes, there is a spring, there is a summer, there is a fall where things start to come unraveled, and there is a winter during which... There is a crisis. And these are fairly normal things. I mean, sometimes the cycle is, is fairly mild. Sometimes it has, you know, tremendous upheaval and, and tremendous risk. Let me give you just a quick example. Because there, there were at least three times in America's history that I can think of where we have been through a fourth turning. And again, just 
follow the logic of how are these like the seasons of, of the year. What happened between, say, 1775 and 1789 was a fourth turning in America. That was the shot heard around the world. That was the Declaration of Independence, the War for Independence, and ultimately the founding period in which the Constitution was written and ratified by the various states. Now, I'm, I'm just going to ask you to think for a moment about what was life like during that time? Was it just a simple decision? Everybody went, hey, look at that. That's a better way. Everybody who's in favor, put your hand in the air. Yep, okay, we got all the hands up. Everybody voted for it, and they just seamlessly moved into it, and it was no problem whatsoever. Right? Now, it didn't happen that way. There was economic hardship. There was civic decay. There was, uh, there was the crisis of the war itself, which was a legitimate war. People lost their lives. They lost their fortunes. They lost their children. People suffered greatly. And, and here's the most important part. The outcome was not certain. From the time of the shot heard around the world fired at Lexington and Concord, you know, on uh, April 19th, 1775, until the conclusion of hostilities with the Treaty of Paris signed in, in uh, 1783, it was all very much in question. I mean, come on, on paper, these colonies, they're going to challenge the, Brit the British Empire, the greatest military force on the earth at that time. But they did. And when the snows receded from that winter storm that encompassed all those years from, you know, the, the fledgling, you know, acts to, to, to gain independence up until the founding of a new nation. Things looked very different on the other side of that crisis. Now, I would probably argue that was a very good resolution. That was actually something that, uh, that came out better than expected. But the next turning, I don't know if we could say exactly the same thing. That turning, you know, took place because, look, following the founding, there was, there was spring, right? That's, that's that first turning. There's the founding era. And, and think of what America was like, those first years, the early 1800s. It wasn't like she was without trouble, but the promise of, you know, an almost untapped land full of resources, the security of oceans on either side of this land to protect her from foreign invasion. I mean, it's, it's a remarkable story, and she went through a very predictable pattern. Then came summer. People became content, and in some cases, too content, maybe discontent because they were so comfortable, started to challenge some of the things that came before. One of the things they challenged, one of the institutions that was challenged, slavery. Oh, there were people who had kind of thought maybe it was a bad idea all along, but this is where a very serious challenge came. And before long, there was this unraveling, there was uh, sectionalism, and the North and the South more or less found themselves divided. Maybe it was more or less the slave states versus the free states. But we all know what came starting with the election of Abraham Lincoln, followed by, you know, the secession of the southern states, followed by the firing on Fort Sumter, then a bloody war and Reconstruction. And on the other side of that crisis, that fourth turning, that winter, things looked very different again. In fact, what had begun as a federal republic was now a national country meaning we had a central government rather than a small, limited federal government. 
and the states would make most of the governance decisions for themselves and for their people, except in very clearly defined areas of overlap, as mentioned in the United States Constitution. The next turning, again, following through the seasons after, after Reconstruction, there was great expansion westward, there was industrialization. You know, the, the U.S. grew and grew, became an international power. And things were going well, and then it started to come unraveled in about the 1920s. And then, boom, 1929, here came the stock market crash, followed by the Great Depression, followed by World War II. Another crisis, another winter season had come upon not just the U.S., but the whole world. And when the storm was over, when that winter had come and gone, the map of the world looked very different. The power structures looked very different. But you notice these events occur roughly every 80 to 100 years. You can't predict a specific event, but you can sure look at, wow, what an interesting time. And economic difficulty, civic decay, and generally war play a role in every one of these crises. I don't know if you've looked at the calendar of how long it's been since World War II ended, but uh, we are right on time for a fourth turning. And, you know, you look around at the chaos of the last, uh, not just the last 19 months, but look at the chaos of the last couple of decades, and particularly the last four or five years. It's a crisis that's, that's intensifying. And I don't know what the outcome will be on the other side of this crisis. I know we are building toward the the crescendo, the climax of, of whatever is going to happen. And nobody knows for sure how it's going to shake out. Will we come out better than we were before? Will we come out worse? Can't say for sure. But it sure helps to know that the things that we are seeing are a part of this. So with that in mind, I'm sorry, that's a very lengthy introduction to an article that I want to share with you from Jim Quinn. Jim Quinn writes for The Burning Platform. I believe this is his platform, and he he has many other writers, but I love Quinn's analysis. He is an economist, and he is very good and has been for years trying to connect the dots of what is happening as it applies to this fourth-turning generational theory. Now, he starts his column with a couple of quotes. He, by the way, this, this one's titled, It's a Fourth Turning. What do you expect? <laughs> I'm sorry. We, we, just, we have to laugh because it's crazy, but that's to be expected during times like this. So here's the first quote from the book itself. Reflect on what happens when a terrible winter blizzard strikes. You hear the weather warning, but probably fail to act on it. The sky darkens. Then the storm hits with full fury, and the air is a howling whiteness. One by one, your links to the machine age break down. Electricity flickers out, cutting off the TV. Batteries fade, cutting off the radio. Phones go dead. Roads become impossible. Cars get stuck. Food supplies dwindle. Day-to-day vestiges of modern civilization, bank machines, mutual funds, mass retailers, computers, satellites, airplanes, governments, all recede into irrelevance. Picture yourself and your loved ones in the midst of a howling blizzard that lasts several years. Think about what you would need. Who would help you and why your fate might matter to anyone other than yourself. That's how to plan for a secular winter. Now, don't think you can escape the fourth turning. History warns that a crisis will reshape the basic social and economic environment that you now take for granted. 
I'm here to tell you that's exactly what's happening to us right now. When I talk about get used to different, you know, and and get used to change, this is one of the reasons why. You and I have no control of it. We can't stop it, nor can we hide from it. Now, here's another quote from the fourth turning. In retrospect, the spark might seem as ominous as a financial crash, as ordinary as a national election, or as trivial as a tea party. The catalyst will unfold according to a basic crisis dynamic that underlies all of these scenarios. So here's the dynamic. An initial spark will trigger a chain reaction of unyielding responses and further emergencies. The core elements of these scenarios, debt, civic decay, and global disorder, will matter more than the details, which the catalyst will juxtapose and connect in some unknowable way. If foreign societies are also entering a fourth turning, this could accelerate the chain reaction. At home and abroad, these events will reflect the tearing of the civic fabric to the po- at points of extreme vulnerability. In other words, problem areas where America has will have denied, neglected, or delayed needed action. Now keep in mind, those words were written back in 1997, or prior to 1997, when the book was published. Jim Quinn says, I've been pondering this fourth turning in articles since its spectacular onset in September of 2008, with the Wall Street Federal Reserve-initiated global financial implosion. He says, the description above is apt, as this ongoing two-decade-long storm gains intensity, and our freedoms, rights, and liberties are slowly extinguished as the electricity flickers, and our modern civilization reverts to a more brutish state of antipathy among competing tribes, based on race, gender, class, party, geographic location, and now medical status. He says, we are in the midst of a secular winter, that's seculum, not secular, secular winter that is guaranteed to become more violent and bitter, as the malevolent forces propelling this crisis had decided to ramp up fear propaganda to implement their global reset, using authoritarian methods to compel the masses to comply. Jim Quinn says, I've intellectually understood we would be faced with trials and tribulations that would threaten the continuation of our way of life and survival as a unified nation. But he says the reality is proving to be far worse. The core elements of debt, civic decay, and global disorder are most certainly propelling this crisis toward its bloody climax. And I knew there was no way to sidestep or escape this fourth turning. But, he says, I didn't expect a deep state coup against a sitting president. A stolen presidential election through the collusion of the surveillance state, big tech, big media, and billionaire oligarchs. A weaponized flu used as cover for an imploding financial system. An authoritarian global lockdown which has destroyed small businesses and impoverished the working class. While enriching megacorporations and the elite ruling class. And now, a big pharma experimental gene therapy disguised as a vaccine used to divide America into hostile tribes that spew hate online. With a strong possibility of violence because Biden and his handlers are attempting to provoke those refusing this vaccine mandate into committing acts of aggression. I'm just going to pause there for a second and just kind of let his words sink in. I think he has a pretty good grasp of what's going on here. And this isn't to, to make you afraid or to get you angry, but simply to acknowledge this is what's going on. This is the view from 30,000 feet. Now, Jim Quinn says those trapped in their self-induced stupor of normalcy bias with an ample helping of cognitive dissonance do not or will not see the coming storm 
as it wipes out all vestiges of their modern techno-consumption society. But the reality is supply chains are imploding as we speak, creating shortages, soaring prices, and possibly empty food shelves in the near future. He says, I find it both fascinating and disturbing to observe the level of madness engulfing our world as the sociopath class of mind manipulators and propaganda specialists use their well-honed psychological techniques to scare the masses into subservience and implement their diabolical, diabolical great reset plan where we own nothing, they own everything, and our future is a boot stamping on our faces forever. He says they are using our willful ignorance, technological bread and circuses, inability to understand risk and susceptibility to fear exploitation to increase their power and control over governmental, financial, and societal levers. They want us undereducated and over-medicated. That is how they broaden their wealth, power, and control. None of what has happened since the fall of 2019 has occurred by accident or due to bad luck. It has been scripted according to the plan agreed upon by the global elites. And he's talking about Gates, Soros, Schwab, Bloomberg, Zuckerberg, and others. Implemented by corrupt politicians, Biden, Cuomo, Newsom, Whitmer. Captured bankers like Powell and Dimon. Corporate shysters like Bezos and Musk. And, of course, the compliant fake news propaganda media, CNN, MSNBC, New York Times, Washington Post. Now, he says, when, an overnight re- when overnight repo rates began hitting 10% in September of 2019, Jerome Powell was ordered to start cutting rates and restart quantitative easing. The global elite were in danger of seeing a re- reduction in their ungodly level of wealth. And in an amazing coincidence, Event 201 took place in October 2019 simulating a global pandemic. Oh, and run by Bill Gates, the World Economic Forum, that's Klaus Schwab, Johns Hopkins, and members of the MSM. It just so happened that a bioweapon lab in Wuhan, working on gain-of-function viruses funded by Anthony Fauci, accidentally or on purpose, released a highly transmissible but relatively non-lethal to anyone under 80 or not weighing 275 pounds virus in November 2019. It appears the Chinese covered this up for at least two months while allowing it to spread across the globe. The World Health Organization, the World Economic Forum, Fauci, and the Trump-hating media covered up the facts about China's creation of this pandemic of fear. Now, he says an overhyped pandemic with a scary name and an unlimited marketing campaign was just what the doctor ordered to set the Build Back Better Great Reset plan in motion. It gave Powell and the Fed cover to unleash trillions in electronic money printing to sustain and enrich their Wall Street owners, billionaire oligarchs, and politicians spending trillions to prop up an economy they purposely shut down. It gave Democratic governors and mayors the cover to implement their steal-the-election plan through massive mail-in ballot fraud because it was too dangerous to stand in line to vote but not too dangerous to stand in line 50 deep at Costco, Walmart, or Target. The mandatory lockdowns and mask mandates were tests to see how far they could push the masses before they pushed back. The oligarchs were delighted to observe millions of losers who had no meaning in their worthless earthly existence thus far believe they were now brave, noble heroes cowering in their basements, ordering takeout from Taco Bell 
watching Netflix, and putting on a face diaper in public, even though Fauci and every scientific study ever done proved masks are useless or worthless rather against viruses. The campaign of fear abetted and aided by Hollywood, the corporate media propaganda networks, big tech social media censorship police, teachers unions, and tyrannical left-wing governors worked to perfection as decades of government school socialization and indoctrination has created a nation of terrified sheep easily ruled by loathsome Machiavellian wolves. Now, Jim Quinn writes, the arrogance and hubris of the malevolent globalist oligarchy has attained epic heights as they successfully stole a presidential election and completed their four-year coup against Trump. And they flogged the January 6th unarmed selfie insurrection to death with their media lapdogs in order to keep the Trump forces on the defensive. They've installed a dementia-ridden, empty-vessel Trojan horse as president with a vacuous, hateful, cackling hyena as vice president as a means to implement their master plan of destroying what remains of a once-great nation. Now, Quinn says he wrote an article two weeks after Biden's installation called Illegitimate President, laying out the case that this was a coup by the deep state and billionaire oligarchs. And he says, I still stand by every word I wrote as my worst fears have been exceeded during Biden's first eight months in office. This Chinese-controlled, child-fondling, teleprompter-reading, senile divider-in-chief is not my president. I will never recognize him as my president. Now he says we are in the midst of a civil war, with the only bad guys, with only the bad guys, waging battle against the Constitution, our freedoms, our liberties, and the societal norms which have formed the foundation of our country since since 1776. And thus far, there's been little to no pushback from the good guys. He says the outcome of this fourth turning hinges upon the willingness of a minority of like-minded, critical-thinking, dissenting Americans to stand up and stop these evil men from turning our country into a tyrannical techno-gulag of oppression. Now, the specific events that drive a fourth turning are never the same. As technology advances, empires rise and fall, and global interconnectedness increases. But what doesn't change is human nature, with all its downsides of greed, envy, hubris, murder, and hate. He says throughout history, sociopaths have risen to power, showing no empathy for their fellow man, seeking power and control over their people, attempting to conquer and destroy other countries, and prone to commit atrocities on a grand scale against their own citizens. And this fourth turning is no different. It rhymes with aspects of our three previous fourth turnings, but has its own distinctive facets not experienced before. And I love this little synopsis he gives here. The American Revolution fourth turning featured a tyrannical despot as the provocateur. The Civil War fourth turning saw a divided nation with half the population going to war against the other half. The Great Depression, World War II, fourth turning, contained a global financial crisis, creation of the welfare state, authoritarian edicts from a dictator-like president, and the bloodiest conflict in human history. Now, characteristics of all these crisis periods can be seen during this fourth turning. As a global financial crisis triggered its onset, government bailouts and a vast expansion of the welfare state has taken place, Politicians across the land have trashed the Constitution and assumed dictatorial powers over their subjects. And he asks, does a bloodier war await? 
or will it be a technological war that destroys our modern world? We're going to come back to this in the next segment. And again, I, I, I hope you understand, I'm not suggesting this is the one true way to, to look at history. This is just another means of looking at history with an eye toward those historical cycles. But once you see them pointed out, does it not make sense? Do you not get a sense that maybe we've been here before, we've faced crises like this? Perhaps not to this extent, but nonetheless, they are, you know, significant crises. I, I, could, I think we can safely say the balance of the nation, or the fate of the nation, rather, hangs in the balance. I don't think that's an exaggeration. We'll come back to this in just a moment. I'm Brian Hyde, filling in for Tim Alders. This is the Disciples of Liberty show on the America Out Loud Network. Because of COVID-19, the average American worries about their immune health four times a day. That's 112 times per year. To minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains 15 full doses of science-backed nutrients like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea, all in a one-a-day pill-free gel pack. It tastes great, is convenient on the go, and it's more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Immune Super Boost. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. The cancel culture is determined to destroy our history, bringing violence and terror to city streets. America Out Loud will enhance its own message of love and honor for the American traditions and constitutional values that have always been the backbone of what America means. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. America Out Loud Talk Radio liberty and justice for all Once again, welcome back to the Disciples of Liberty show. I'm Brian Hyde, and I'm filling in for Tim Alders here on the America Out Loud Network. Talking about the fourth turning and sharing with you an article from Jim Quinn. This was published earlier on LewRockwell.com. The title, It's a Fourth Turning. What did you expect? I don't know why, but I find this particular approach to the cycles of history to be much more informative or at least to to give me a better appreciation and some context for some of the things that are happening right now that would just seem utterly crazy if it weren't for the fact that they were part of a historical cycle. And that doesn't mean that we can tell exactly what's going to happen next, just that there are certain attitudes, certain trends that seem to come up whenever one of these turnings takes place. Now, one of the things that Jim Quinn points out is he says the twist in this fourth turning has been the emergence of the deep state 
in collusion with big tech, big pharma, big media, Wall Street, and the globalist billionaire cabal to strip the people of their rights while convincing a huge swath of willfully ignorant, frightened sheep that they're doing it for their own good. And he says, this is how evil wins. This is how a society devolves into tyranny and dictatorship. The immense level of unpayable debt underlies everything happening. The actions taken by central bankers at the behest of their Wall Street owners and captured politicians are an act of desperation to keep this debt pyramid scheme from imminent collapse. But it virtually assures a far worse outcome of hyperinflation and depression. He says the decades of civic decay, initiated and encouraged by those pulling the levers behind the scenes, have hollowed out our society and created animosities which are now irreconcilable and fatal. This is an optimistic note. He says it's just a matter of time until the shooting begins. The global disorder seems contrived and planned as part of a globalist reset, globalist great reset scheme to create a new world order where the plebs will own nothing and the elites will run the show and reap the riches. Now, back in March of 2020, at the outset of this pandemic, he says, I was already skeptical, suspicious, and convinced the globalist oligarchy were using this virus as a means to implement their diabolical plan to reset the world in the method of their choosing. In my article at the end of March, P for pandemic, he says, I predicted a vaccine would be miraculously discovered and everyone would be forced to take it or be arrested. Little did I know Gates and Fauci already had a vaccine waiting in the wings in collusion with their big pharma co-conspirators. It seems the plot from V for Vendetta has been playing out just as V stated during his speech to London. And then he posts this, this speech from V. If you haven't seen the movie, it's, it's worth your time. V says, because the trun- while the truncheon may be used in lieu of conversation, words will always retain their power. Words offer the means to meaning, and for those who will listen, the enunciation of truth. And the truth is, there is something terribly wrong with this country, isn't there? Cruelty and injustice, intolerance and oppression, and where once you had the freedom to object, to think and speak as you saw fit, you now have censors and systems of surveillance coercing your conformity and soliciting your submission. How did this happen? Who's to blame? Well, certainly, he says, there are those who are more responsible than others, and they will be held accountable. But again, truth be told, if you're looking for the guilty, you need only look into a mirror. I know why you did it. I know you were afraid. Who wouldn't be? War, terror, disease. They were a myriad of problems which conspired to corrupt your reason and rob you of your common sense. Fear got the best of you, and, in your panic... You turned to the now High Chancellor, Adam Suttler. He promised you order. He promised you peace. And all he demanded in return was your silent, obedient consent. Now, Jim Quinn says, look, everything in that speech applies to our current state of affairs. Just replace the name Adam Suttler with any combination of Biden, Fauci, Gates, or Schwab. But there is no superhero in the wings ready to inspire the nation toward revolution against the dark forces who've taken the reins of our society. We've now entered one of the most dangerous periods in our country's history. We've been continuously lied to by so-called experts. Are they just incompetent or do they have another agenda? 
The rollout of the experimental gene-altering therapies by Big Pharma was touted by Fauci, Biden, Walensky, and their media, ther- their media mouthpieces as a miracle cure for COVID, which would eradicate the virus and save the world. Now, this was before the Orwellian doublespeak campaign of revisionist history was implemented with haste. Due to the vaccine narrative collapsing under the weight of facts, data, doctors, and journalists brave enough to speak out and warn the public. Most have been disappeared from social media by the Silicon Valley Thought Police. Prior to this scandemic, the definition of a vaccine was well-defined and unquestioned by the scientific community. A vaccine was designed to prevent a disease from occurring. The polio vaccine and smallpox vaccine didn't lessen the symptoms of those diseases. They protected you from ever getting them. At minimum, a vaccine provides immunity against the disease. As these mRNA vaccines have been jabbed into over 1 billion people on the planet, it seems they don't make you immune from the virus, they don't protect you from getting the virus, they don't keep you from spreading the virus, and don't even protect you from being hospitalized or dying from the virus. Even their latest redefinition of vaccine, changed by those controlling the narrative, doesn't apply. So, vaccination pre-2015 was defined as injection of a killed or weakened infectious organism in order to prevent the disease. Vaccination from 2015 to 2021 was defined as the act of introducing a vaccine into the body to produce immunity to a specific disease. If you look at the official definition definition today, as of September 2021, vaccination is defined as the act of introducing a vaccine into the body to produce protection from a specific disease. Interesting shift in terminology, wouldn't you say? Now, Jim Quinn says, the fact that these vaccines are a complete and utter failure is clear, as new cases using the purposely faulty and FDA-recalled PCR test surged to 170,000 per day in early September, with 180 million Americans fully vaccinated, versus 45,000 per day last September, with zero Americans vaccinated. You're not allowed to acknowledge that fact. Deaths with COVID are averaging 2,000 per day now, despite their versus the 800 per day last September with no one vaccinated. How can this data not be interpreted as a complete failure of the vaccines? The data has proven any effectiveness wanes after a few months. Boosters for eternity would certainly benefit Pfizer's bottom line and keep Fauci on the left-wing Sunday propaganda outlets. But Twitter always has a blurb in the upper right corner under what's happening, saying COVID vaccines are safe and effective. Jim Quinn says, I've also seen 5,000 TV commercials where famous athletes, pop singers, and Hollywood stars tell me the same thing. They wouldn't lie, right? Twitter also has experts say masks are safe and effective in preventing spread of COVID-19 at the top right every day. Lastly, Twitter and the MSM constantly post articles and commentary saying ivermectin is not approved by the FDA for treating COVID-19 and is only for cows and horses. Well, we wouldn't want to eat into the billions of big pharma profits by actually promoting a safe, effective, and cheap drug which has virtually eradicated COVID in India. He says it's funny, but if you Google Israel COVID cases versus India COVID cases... You cannot find this graph. And by the way, he does have a graph here. 
It's just it's it's being suppressed by the algorithms. He says, I guess proof the most vaxxed country in the world is experiencing the largest surge in cases in the world versus one of the least vaxxed countries in the world who distributed mass quantities of ivermectin to its people is experiencing no surge. That might just be an inconvenient truth to the COVID COVID vaccine narrative police. I have to say, it's a pretty convincing chart, and it's in the article. Now, he says they do make it easy to distinguish their lies, misinformation, and propaganda from truth. It's a scientific fact. Masks don't work. A vaccine that doesn't keep you from getting the virus is not effective. A vaccine that has caused at least 650,000 adverse reactions, 86,000 serious injuries, and 14,000 deaths, according to the VAERS database. He says, that doesn't sound safe to me, but what do I know? I'm one of those unvaxxed domestic terrorists Biden thinks should wear a yellow star and have my livelihood destroyed as punishment for my noncompliance with his demands. Jim Quinn writes, the potential long-term consequences of these gene therapies are completely unknown. But many renowned doctors, censored by Twitter and Facebook, worry that ADE, antibody-dependent enhancement, will wreak havoc in the not-too-distant future. Real fact-checkers, not the current batch of Orwellian thought police, would conclude these vaccines are anything but safe and effective. So if these vaccines are clearly not doing what they were advertised to do, and natural immunity is proving to be 20 times as effective in fending off the Delta variant, why is Biden and Fauci doubling down with vaccine mandates, vaccine passports, forcing vaccinations on people who already have natural immunity, and shaming those who choose not to be lab rats in this big pharma experiment where they have zero liability for injuries or deaths caused by their concoctions? He says one of the inventors of the mRNA therapies, who's been a thorn in the side of Fauci and his big pharma whores, has, been, has similar questions and doubts about the true purpose and agenda behind these mandatory jabs. That would be Robert W. Malone. He's an MD. And he says, please ask yourself, why is the USA requiring vaccination for all with an outdated vax when many have already been infected, recovered, and developed natural immunity. Stop. Think. Why the censorship? Why the mandates? Why the constant propaganda push? Now, Jim Quinn says it should be clear to any open-minded, critical-thinking individual that this has never been about your health, but about their insatiable appetite for power and control over how our society functions, who benefits, and who reaps the financial rewards. Always follow the money. Big Pharma generates a huge portion of advertising revenues for big media and the medical industrial complex of hospitals and doctors and researchers. We are fighting a corporate fascist deep state behemoth aided and abetted by Zuckerberg, Dorsey, Gates, Soros, and numerous other sociopaths in government, media, and the corporate world. Their chosen medium to compel obedience is fear. It has proven to be tremendously effective in herding the sheep towards the slaughterhouse. Imagine convincing tens of millions to quiver in fear 
locked in their homes, wearing face diapers for months on end, and volunteering to be the research in a big pharma money-making scheme over a virus with a 99.7% survival rate that only kills the very old, the very sick, and very obese. A virus so scary, most people don't know they have it until they get a positive test result from a purposely flawed test. Now the fear has turned to loathing, as those who believed their patron saint of COVID, Anthony Fauci, are embarrassed by the fact they were convinced to get jabbed under false pretenses, and now look like fools for believing they would be protected from the dreaded Rona. A basic risk-benefit analysis tells the true story. And he walks you right through this. Number one, will it stop me from getting COVID? Yes or no? This is talking about the vaccine. Number two, will it stop me from spreading COVID? Yes or no? Has it been long-term safety tested on humans? Yes or no answer, please. Have there been any deaths and injuries causable or caused rather to date? Yes or no? And finally, are the makers liable for any damage or injury caused? Now, I don't know about you, but I get four no answers and one yes answer, all of which point to high risk, low benefit. Bertrand Russell captures the reaction of the vaxxed perfectly. When he says collective fear stimulates herd instinct and tears to produce, tends to produce ferocity toward those who are not regarded as members of the herd. Well, the herd was corralled into fear by believing the vaccines could protect them. At first, they virtue signaled their intellectual superiority and contributions to mankind by getting the jab. Only foolish Trumpers would be would resist this miracle drug, even though it was Trump that allowed Big Pharma to skip about three years of trials to rush the vaccines to market. The COVID vax cultists thought they could shame the immune system reliant into following them down the path of forlorn hope. By the way, don't forget, Trump was booed by people who adore him when he was urging them to get vaxxed at a rally just a couple of weeks ago. Jim Quinn says now that the vaccines have proven to be useless, dangerous, and possibly a way to cull the herd over time, the herd has turned their anger on the unvaxxed with a ferocity usually reserved for a DeSantis or Trump press conference. The vaxxed are angry because the unvaxxed are putting them at risk because their vax doesn't work. Got it? And this anger is being stoked by Biden and his minions as they attempt to create chaos, havoc, and violent upheaval in this country. Now, the initial reaction to that last statement would be doubt and resistance to the thought of a sitting president and his handlers purposely trying to destroy the underpinnings of our nation. But as proof that human nature does not change, the inimitably observant, skeptical, and cynical about government writer H.L. Mencken couldn't have described the forces at play any better than he did 95 years ago. Quote, Yet behind the majority, often defectively concealed, there is always a sinister minority, eager only for what its own advantage, eager only for its own advantage, and willing to adopt any device, however outrageous, to get what it wants. We have a puppet in the White House, pulled by wires, but with dangerous weapons in its hands. Law enforcement becomes a new state religion. A law is something that A wants and can hornswoggle B, C, D, E, and F into giving him. 
by lying, by bribery, by bluff and bluster, by making faces. G and H are therefore bound to yield it respect, nay, to worship it. It is something sacred. To question it is to sin against the Holy Ghost. Holy cow, think about, think about the reaction. If someone says, yeah, I don't believe that the last election was legitimate. Yep, that is like speaking against the Holy Ghost. And yet Mencken wrote those words in 1926. But it does perfectly describe our situation today. Jim Quinn says, There has always been a sinister minority, operating in the shadows, pulling the wires of whoever's in the White House. If they don't comply with the orders of those pulling those, if if the person in the White House doesn't comply with the orders of those uh, uh, pulling those wires, well, they get the JFK treatment. Trump's noncompliance resulted in the deep, deep state coup, which removed him from office. With an avalanche of extrajudicial executive orders, mandates, and unconstitutional actions, Biden is doing the bidding of those who installed him to take down America. Those controlling Biden believe they are intellectually superior and must use psychological manipulation and Bernaysian propaganda techniques to achieve their goal of one world government in which they rule over us with an iron fist and technological surveillance. He says these sociopaths believe their evil means justify ends which benefit themselves. Freedom, liberty, free speech, choice about medical treatments, and the rights granted under the Constitution are antiquated notions in the minds of these maniacal tyrants. This fourth turning, he says, hinges on the coming conflict between this sinister minority and a thus far silent but heavily armed majority. Now, this is a revolution instituted by those at the top of the pecking order in a bold attempt to increase and consolidate their power, control, and wealth. This revolution will not bring prosperity to the people, but is designed to benefit a brazen few who care not for the average American. This oligarch revolution heralds immense death and destruction, either through medicinal methods or violence in the streets. Widespread impoverishment of the masses is a certainty once the underpinnings of this financial system give way. If they succeed, the degeneration of our society into a dystopian nightmare is a distinct possibility. But, okay, this is the heavy stuff now. If you're mopping your brow going, where does it end? Okay, here's where hope enters the picture. Jim Quinn reminds us there are far more of us than them. They attempt to give the appearance of superiority and strength, but their hold over the levers of power is tenuous. And once a few brave dissenters begin to stand up and resist, the masses will hesitantly begin to follow. We are approaching a crucial point where we must either bow down to the sinister minority or make our last stand. Now, Jim Quinn says, I've been trying to figure out the path of this fourth turning for the past 13 years. What I do know is that it keeps getting worse as time passes. With 2020 initiating the next leg down and 2021 devolving into a battle between the forces of oligarch evil and the majority of good people just trying to live their lives. He says, I don't know what happens next, but I know the next few years will herald much pain, acrimony, bloodshed, and sacrifice on the part of many good people. That's if we are to retain any semblance of the nation we once celebrated. 
He says our goal should be to act in a way that would make the founding fathers, who initiated our first fourth turning, proud of our deeds and actions. The enemy currently holds the high ground, but we are the many. The storm has arrived, and our very survival hangs in the balance. He says, I hope there are enough of us willing to sacrifice our lives for the restoration of the Republic, given to us by Washington, Adams, Jefferson, Franklin, and the rest of the founders. And then he says, good luck and Godspeed. Now he ends with a couple of quotes. Again, this is from the book, The Fourth Turning. Strauss and Howe said, the risk of catastrophe will be very high. The nation could erupt into insurrection or civil violence, crack up geographically, or succumb to authoritarian rule. If there is a war, it is likely to be one of maximum risk and effort. In other words, a total war. Every fourth turning has registered an upward ratchet in the technology of destruction and in mankind's willingness to use it. Another quote from the book. History offers no guarantees. Obviously, things could go horribly wrong. The possibilities ranging from a nuclear exchange to incurable plagues, from terrorist anarchy to a high-tech dictatorship. We should not assume that providence will always exempt our nation from the irreversible tragedies that have overtaken so many others. Not just temporary hardship, but debasement and total ruin. Losing in the next fourth turning could mean something incomparably worse. It could mean a lasting defeat from which our national innocence, perhaps even our nation, might never recover. Now, I understand what you're hearing here is is likely bringing up some pretty strong emotions of, oh my goodness, is it really that bad? And I don't want to dwell just on the negative, okay? This is, don't don't let fear feed your mind and and become the, the dynamic that drives all of your thinking. Fear makes us easy to manipulate. When someone's trying to make you fearful, they're usually trying to hack your thinking. And I hope you understand. I'm not trying to make you you fearful. I don't think that Jim Quinn is trying to make you fearful. It's more a matter of you've got to be aware. That means you've got to face some hard facts. But there are some positives from this. One of the positives is the rot and the corruption that has been building for, for generations. It's not going to last forever. I'm trying to think of the nicest possible way to say this, and frankly, I just, I can't. I don't know, I don't know a nice way to say it, so I'm just going to be blunt. The whole rotten edifice is going to collapse because it's rotted from within. And I don't know what comes next. I still believe the principles of freedom. I believe the principles of constitutional government are very legit. I believe that liberty under God is the right way to go. But I also think that the current system as it stands is probably beyond redemption. And I apologize to to anybody who feels like, well, that sounds like you just said the United States is going to fail given the amount of rot that is within the political system and and the, the, the way that that structure of that system is rotted, yeah, I don't see how it can continue. I don't see how the continued spending and incurring of debt can go on. It can't. It's not a tenable situation. I heard it likened once to um, a house 
where you've had a, a leak. There's been a leaky faucet, and you know you can go in and you can put a new washer in and you can stop that leak. But let's say that that leak has been going on for decades. Let's say it's been going on for generations. And it's not enough to just simply stop the leak and say, okay, the house isn't going to heal itself. The damage to the floor, the damage to the subfloor, perhaps the damage to the foundation itself is there. And that rot has set in. How do you fix something like that? See, I'm not a builder. Obviously, the builders are shaking their heads going, okay, this is a really crappy analogy, but go with it, Brian. Where, Where does it lead? To me, the the only logical choice is if that structure is going to be taken care of, it's first going to have to be torn down and rebuilt. And that kind of makes me nervous. It makes me nervous because, look, you love freedom. I love freedom. But I don't mistake myself for any Thomas Jefferson. In fact, as I look around today, with very few exceptions, I don't see very many people who could stand in the shoes of the founders. And yet, hear me out, I think that's what we're going to have to do. Not just stand there and say, you know, the founders were right and they were good men and rah, rah, rah. That's, it's, it's one thing to be a cheerleader. It's another thing to be a disciple of liberty. The founding generation clearly had its share of disciples of liberty. People who were willing to put their lives, their fortunes, their sacred honor on the altar of freedom And mean it. And many of them did pay dearly for what they were able to secure for those who would follow in their footsteps. If God was able to raise up such individuals at such a crucial time in America's history when it was just, you know, a new land full of promise, full of opportunities, if he was able to inspire the right people to do the right thing at the right time, Why would he not do so for us? So if the prospect of, well, you know, I don't know if something, if something, you know, breaks down, how can we, if we, if we lose, if we lose our, our government, have we really lost everything? My answer would be no, we haven't. It's a great tragedy and a tremendous waste of so much time, effort, blood, sweat, and tears that people have put in over the years to try to do something good and noble. And, and let's let's be really clear. A lot of good and noble things have happened throughout this nation's history. Some because of, most in spite of, our government. The fact that it was limited, the fact that it was clearly defined and its upper limits of power, you know, were written right out there in the Constitution are what made that possible. And at the risk of of really blaspheming here, what if the Constitution wasn't meant to be the be-all, end-all? In other words, what if it was a terrific starting point, but also was, was able to be modified, amended, if you will, as our understanding grew and as our capability grew? And I don't mean to to get into all kinds of mischief, but amended to where it reflected even better ways of promoting self-governance. Free markets, freedom of conscience, protection of all those God-given rights. I guess the bottom line is this. I don't know what comes next. I know that we're in the midst of a fourth turning crisis. I see it. 
I feel it. I, I perhaps I recognize it a little bit differently than some because of that that fourth turning perspective. But I think there is there are equal parts of promise and hope as well as you know despair and and sadness over what has happened to our beloved nation. None of this is written in stone as of yet. The decisions that we make as individuals actually are going to have a very big impact on what kind of an outcome we see. But rather than trying to shore up by voting harder or voting smarter, you know, the old rotten system, I think this is the time where we need to be looking ahead and seriously considering what are we doing to build what comes next. Even if that starts at a very individual level, like even in your own home, what are you doing to build what comes next? I'm confident you're on the right path. I'm just saying, stay the course. I'm Brian Hyde sitting in for Tim Alders. This is the Disciples of Liberty show on the America Out Loud Network. Network.